I was a kid in Sunday school. I, I, how many of you guys grew up going to church? Like you went to Sunday school as a kid? Come kind of a mixed bag, okay? So if this is not your experience, that's fine. But I'm going to explain a little bit about how it was for me when I was a kid in Sunday school. I learned the classic Sunday school curriculum. Old Testament, New Testament, Noah, Joseph, Moses, King David, Queen Esther, Ruth, Jonah, the loaves and the fishes, the woman at the well, the ten lepers, blind Bartimaeus, the man at the pool, the Last Supper, the Garden of Gethsemane, the crucifixion, the resurrection, Pentecost. I mean, and everything I missed, that was only, that was barely anything. And when I was a teenager, we had a, we had a contest at youth, and I memorized, I like to say, I was so in love with Jesus, I memorized this scripture, but there was a contest with an amazing prize. Uh, Pastor Aaron, I think it was a ski trip. I think you won, though, but we were both in it, yeah. We were like 17, and I still remember that I lost that contest, so just like that, just saying. Second uh, Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I've known that for so many years in my life. Um, and I also knew that, that having the written word of God was such a huge privilege. Matthew 13, 17 says, For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see but did not see it, longed to hear what you hear but did not hear it. And so the fact that we have all of this revelation of God, I've always known is a huge privilege. And as I continued in my faith, I would sometimes hear that the Bible was the story of Jesus. Have you heard this before? That the Bible is the story of Jesus. And I thought, well, certainly Jesus is in the Bible. Everyone can read that. But what does the flood have to do with the Sermon on the Mount? And, and besides, I've read, like, the Bible, most of it, I mean, at this point. At this point I have, by the way, just so you know. But I'm talking about when I was growing up in church. I had read uh, most of the Bible. I'd heard, I thought I'd heard most of the stories. And... I knew, I knew that uh, God the Father was there. I, I, I read about the Holy Spirit even in the Old Testament. You know, Elijah and Samson and David were filled with the Spirit. But I didn't read about Jesus in the Old Testament. He came later in the story. Not that he's not important in the story. He just came later in the story. So to me, the Old Testament was sort of like vignettes with life lessons and perhaps some worship that we would find in the Psalms or uh, some wisdom we'd find in Proverbs and all of this great stuff, prophetic messages that we could apply to our lives today like Jeremiah 29 11, which you probably have on a plaque somewhere in your house, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future, beautiful stuff in the Old Testament. So there's, I'm not disparaging it at all, but I, that's just how I thought about it. There was the God of the Old Testament, there was the God of the New Testament. I knew he was the same God, but he was a lot different in those different testaments. A lot was different, actually, when Jesus came. I knew that. And while I know God didn't change because scripture also says that, I also did not know how to think about that through as I was making my way through the scriptures, especially the Old Testament. It's like I knew all of the trees, but I did not know that they were part of the same forest. Do you know what I mean? So one of the great joys of my adult life has been to discover that the God of creation in Genesis 1 and the revelation of Jesus at the end of the canon of scripture are the same Father, Son, and Holy Spirit the whole time, being revealed patiently, piece by piece, in perfect timing, and that we can use like this, we can use all of this to know him, all of it. Angie Smith wrote a, a Bible study that Pastor Aaron led earlier this year in a Connecting Point group, and it was called Seamless. And it's the inspiration, I want to give credit where it's due, it is definitely the inspiration for our summer series 
because we're going to be using some of her material to walk a similar path to what that Connecting Point group did earlier this year. Because the group found it so helpful and insightful uh, that we wanted to bring the idea of her Bible study uh, to our whole church family. So we're going to use themes from it all summer long. So here's the thesis for our summer series from the first chapter of her Bible study. She said this, the entire Bible is a vast library written by 40 authors over 1,600 years. You can explore the nooks and crannies for a lifetime. But the amazing thing is those 66 books tell one seamless story about the God who made us, loves us, redeems us, and has a future for us. Great, right? And so we're going to take the Bible chronologically this summer. We're going to answer three questions each week. First of all, what's happening in the story that we're reading? Secondly, what does it uh, tell us or reveal to us about God? And thirdly, how does it point us to Jesus? Isn't that going to be fun? Okay, are you ready? Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. Um, uh, Matt, there is a light on the camera. Are you doing that on purpose? Is that supposed to be like the light on a, like the red light on a, a TV camera? It's not going to be distracting at all. I'm going <laughs> to, it's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Have you ever looked around the world and thought to yourself, how did things get so messed up? Maybe on a personal level, like in your own life, how did things get so messed up? Or certainly on a global level, how did things get so messed up? We've got so many big problems on earth. We don't even know how to begin. Disease and poverty and pollution and war and pandemics, just to name a few, of course. And then we have these individual responses to the trouble and mess around us that look like anger and fear and anxiety and depression and worry and Twitter. That's just, that's a response to the world around us now. So how did we get here? How, how, how much of an optimist do you have to be to believe that the world can be fixed? That things could get better? That you could um, imagine all the people living life in peace. Everybody. You, right? Like, how much of an optimist do you have to be, to John Lennon, to be, like, in that headspace? Scripture answers this for us, actually, almost immediately. We talked last month about creation and, and the fact that God created the world and having the faith to believe that and, and how that helps us. But, um, and we read that from Genesis chapters 1 and 2. But the very next thing we read about in Scripture is the original act of disobedience that we label with one very big, very short theological term called the fall. And it's a very small word with very, very big significance. Let's read about it together. We're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And if you're new to the scriptures, this is a great one because you can really just go to the beginning. <laughs> like go to the beginning of your Bible or scroll to the top of your, of your index and you're going to find Genesis there. We're going to read Genesis chapter 3, just the first six verses to start here. It says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was, of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, 
and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So right here, right here in the third chapter of the Bible, we meet the enemy. Shows up as a serpent, Satan. And the first words out of his mouth are manipulative. Did God really say? That's how I hear it. That's like a cartoon version, but that's kind of how I hear it. Did God really say that you couldn't eat from that tree? And he's like, mm, yeah, actually, he really did. That's literally exactly what he said. Don't eat from that tree. And then Satan's response to that was, Okay, so he, okay, he did, but he was exaggerating because he doesn't want you to be like him. This, this, well, the serpent is, is guilty here of deliberate deception and manipulation for sure. Eve's choice, and Adam's, by the way, did anybody else, you know, I know Eve's going to get a lot of a bad rap today on this, but did you guys read that in verse 6? Her husband was just standing there, watch this all go down. He was, he was involved in this, okay? He was just like, I don't know, like, if you think we should, like, let's just, I don't know. I don't know what he was doing, but he was there. He ate the fruit. He was involved. Something started in that moment, in Eve's choice, in Adam's choice to go along with it. Something started that was a turning point literally for all of humanity. And I'm not being dramatic for effect this morning. That's what it, we are reading about right here. And I do want to pause here and I want to address something in case you're a little bit carnal like I am. Have you ever thought... Stupid Eve. She ruined it for everybody. <laughs> Anybody? Anybody had that? Anybody still feeling that way? Yeah, me too. Like, I, I, all, I like to think, like, if I was there, I would have just appreciated what I had. I would have just been like, one tree, who cares? I get all the rest of this. I get to walk with God. I get to enjoy creation. I have everything. Everything's perfect in my perfect little life, right? I would have enjoyed it. I wouldn't have been like Eve and been so ungrateful. And so discontent. And I wish that were true. But the truth is that we were created with the ability to choose. And that's what we're reading here. We have the free will to love and obey God or not to. When I was younger, I, I used to believe that if, I, if it had been someone other than Eve, maybe me, but really, like almost anyone else, she was the worst. That's how I felt. If it had been someone other than Eve, then the whole thing could have been prevented. This would have been a very, very different book altogether. And the truth is, the older I get, the more I realize that I probably would have done the same thing. I would have wanted more. I would have chosen my way over God's best because I've done it over and over and over in my life. And we, we still have the freedom to do that. That's the char a characteristic of the intense love of God for us is that we have the freedom we, have, we, have, we are free to love him back or we're free to walk away and live our own way. The choice is ours. It still is. So the, call, the fall, remember the fall, this theological term we're using here, very short, very powerful. The fall had devastating consequences. So let's read the rest of this and let's find out what happened. Verse 7, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Isn't that a cool idea? Just pause there. God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they heard him. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God said to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, but I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. 
And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me. <laughs> I can't. I tried not to, guys, but I couldn't stop myself from giggling. That woman you put here with me. <laughs> she, gave me some, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God, and I'm sorry. It's not funny, but like what a response, Adam. Like, come on, man. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, here's the section we're going to come back to. Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat the dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the, become the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments out of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them, and, and the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and the flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. Isn't that sad? Can you even imagine what that would have been like. To have what they had, to have walked with God how they walked with him, to know, to know what they knew, and to that be the consequence. And you read this and you know that Adam and Eve knew immediately that everything had changed. God asks them, where are you? Why are you hiding? God wasn't confused. He wasn't actually looking for them, of course. He knew where they were. He knew why they were hiding, but he asked them to draw out the condition of their hearts because they had always walked freely and without shame and they enjoyed the perfection of the creation that they lived in and they had everything they needed walking and talking with God every day. It's hard to even wrap your head around, isn't it? And then suddenly when they made this decision to deliberately disobey God, they discovered they were naked and they hid from him. Like, that is a terrifying and heartbreaking moment for them and for God. The consequences of their decision are difficult, to say the least. The serpent, Adam, Eve, all of them are now going to live with their actions. And that punishment is another theological term that's also pretty simple. And it's, we call it the curse. The fall produced the curse. And you, we read that curse, I, I, I made note of it as we were reading through it there in Genesis 3. You won't live forever, you'll have pain in childbearing, you'll have difficulty working the ground. And uh, for Satan, for the serpent, uh, enmity and destruction was, was coming for him. There's the curse that they were going to live under. 
And because of this curse, now we are all born under the curse of sin and death. So maybe you've heard that language before, especially in the New Testament, that we were born under the curse of sin and death. And all of that, anytime you read anything about that, all of that started here right in Genesis chapter 3. So let's answer our second and third guiding questions for these messages. That, that's what happened. So our second and third questions, what does this story reveal to us about God? And um, how does it point to Jesus? So the first thing that this story reveals to us about God is his incredible love and his intended intimacy with us. Before the fall, I want you to consider how Adam and Eve were created. Kind of just use your imagination and picture the relationship they had. Because when you see what's taken away from them, you start to understand what they had before that. All of this, all, all of this story points to how God has always intended to, how were we, we were in, originally created, how we were intended to be in relationship with God, how he lovingly formed us, how closely he wants to walk with us. All of those things are shown to us in this story. We, we really see the love and intimacy of God here. And the second thing we see that's equally true about God is his divine justice and judgment. We understand that God is perfectly holy. Holy meaning set apart, like without any sin. Everything about him is perfection. And God is equally love and justice. He's not one or the other. He is both at the same time. And the truth is that we are not him. So when disobedience came between them and God, God couldn't and wouldn't ignore what had happened. He wasn't going to just sweep it under the rug. And it's interesting because it's so devastating to read the consequences and the fact that we live under the consequences of that decision that was made in Genesis chapter 3. We still live under it today in a broken world. But the truth is also that God's justice is what we long for in the world around us. We long for rights to, uh, wrongs to be made right. We don't want the, the people to be sick or oppressed. We want the world, we, we want it when somebody wrongs us for there to be justice for us too. We long for this kind of justice. It's just that when, when we are the perpetrators of the sin, it's so difficult to take. When the consequence is ours to bear, it is hard to swallow. God is loving and close and available. And he is also perfectly just and a perfect judge. And those things are revealed as uh, both true at the same time here in Genesis 3. So how does this point us to Jesus? I want you to just jump over one more time to Genesis 3.15 again. And I want to read the, just this one verse. It's a long verse, but uh, read just this one verse with me. Genesis 3.15. God is uh, giving the curse to the serpent here. And he says... I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. When you think about the enemy striking at the heel of man, so the offspring um, of, of Adam and Eve, and so the offspring are going to have the serpent um, striking at the heel, causing pain, causing discomfort, uh, causing trouble for the offspring of the woman. 
when you get, uh, when a, uh, unless it's venomous, but like, okay, but if, if, a, if you get bit on the heel, that is not a death blow to you. It's painful, it's, it's uncomfortable, it's distracting, but it's not permanent. But it also says that the offspring of the woman will do what to the head of the serpent? Crush the head of the serpent. When you crush the head of a serpent, though I've never done it, you can imagine, because if I saw one, I would just be like, Rob! That's what I would do in that particular situation. But the offspring of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, which you know would be a death blow. That's a permanent solution. And so one commentator took this verse and uh, summarized it like this. Sin took root in the Garden of Eden, and it will grow into a monstrosity before God. In his mercy, will send his son to us. So the fall was devastating in every way. The relationship with God was broken. Death entered the world. Sin would grow and cause so much pain and so much hardship and brokenness in the world around us. And every person born from this point on um, in the human race would be born into sin and born into separation from the creator. And while the consequences of that are brutal and heart-wrenching, the first lines of the curse that are given also have the first words of promise of redemption and reconciliation in a relationship with God. Redemption meaning uh, you're being saved from sin or you're having a debt against you cleared. The first promise of that clearing of the debt is with you. And, the, and, and reconciliation means the restoration of a relationship. We have the first promises of this right here. God was never going to leave us victims of our own terrible decisions. He was already giving us a way out, already giving us a way back, right from the first moments of that terrible decision. The offspring of the woman would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus was coming. And he was going to conquer sin and death forever by what he did on the cross for us. It was already being predicted, already being seen, already being planned for. We were never going to be left on our own to the consequences of our decision. And so our question for us is a couple of things. First of all, do you need a way out or a way back? Do you need a way out of the life you've been living, the consequences of your decisions, the weight of shame, the weight of sin that you carry? Do you need a way out? Do you need a way back? Maybe, maybe like lots of us grew up in Sunday school, maybe we've heard these stories before. We know uh, a lot about this God that we read about in scripture, but you're far from him and you need a way back. You're just like, I'm just too far to even know what to do. I'm too far to know how to find him anymore. I, I, I'm too broken. I can't, I can't be that perfect Christian that I'm supposed to be. Um, that'll preach a different, whole different message. I will try really hard not to go there right this second. But that's so many of our, 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 mind, our mindset is that we're too broken. We're, we're irre, we can't be repaired. I want you in this story in Genesis 3 to see the love and justice of the Father. Both equally weighty. In the gift of Jesus paying the price for our sin. Out of his deep, deep love for us, he sends his only son. And 
to satisfy the justice that needed to be satisfied, Jesus paid the price for us because he could, because of his perfection. And all the way from that consequence of disobedience in the fall, that eating of the fruit that they weren't supposed to, in direct disobedience to God, all the way from there to whatever you've done in your life, that lie you told to your spouse yesterday or that habitual sin you were caught up in last night or that gossip you sent in a text or whatever it is you'd fill in the blank with in your life today. All the way from the fall to today, there is Jesus. There's just, there's Jesus. He was promised in the first words of the curse, given, given to us as a way out and a way back to the relationship that was broken in the garden. And so I'm asking if you need a way out or you need a way back, would you be able to see Jesus this morning and what he's done I've been working my way deeply through Colossians for the last year, and I have fallen in love with this scripture. And I come back to over and over and over again. Colossians 1, 19 to 22 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Do you see him there? You see what he's provided for us right from the, the first pages of scripture? That we could have that relationship restored, have it reconciled by the peace that was brought to the justice that was required because of what Christ has done for us. So we're going to take a few moments this morning and I wonder if you would join me in worshiping him for, the, for his plan unfolding from these very first pages of scripture. Would you, would you just take a moment and let that settle in your heart that he saw you so long before you were even born and he made a way for you so long before you were even here or you knew anything about him or you heard anything about these stories in scripture. He saw you and he loved you and he made a way for you to be justified, for you to be reconciled, for you to have that debt paid to be redeemed. And so it's such a beautiful thing that even as we start this summer series, Understanding this, this, how scripture is woven together, pointing to Jesus, revealing God, and teaching us what we need to know. That this is our traditional uh, first of the month communion Sunday. What, a, what couldn't be more perfect time? And to remember why it is that we need Jesus so much. And to gather around the communion uh, emblems together and pause and give thanks for who he is and what he's done. And so this morning, if, if you're in a, in a place where you need to find your way back to him or you want to find him for the first time and decide, Jesus, I see you and what you've done for me. I, I understand that I'm broken 
and I live in a broken world, but that you have made a way because of your death and resurrection to offer forgiveness to me, to make me clean, to make me right, and to be back in a relationship with you the way I was intended to. I, I see that story being woven together, and I understand there's nothing I can do to earn that. I don't have to be good enough. I don't have to fix myself. But I just need to come to you. And if you want to find your way back or find your way there for the first time this morning, I want to invite you to do that. When we come to the communion table together, we also listen to the instructions in Scripture that says we need to examine ourselves and make sure that our hearts are right before God before we take these emblems. And so if you are a Christ follower already, you already made a decision to follow Jesus, this is for you. But if you want to make that decision this morning, this could be your first communion as a follower of Christ. And you'd be very welcome to that. So Rob, why don't you lead us um, and let our hearts settle around these God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now, he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Friends, listen to what has changed since Genesis chapter 3 because of Jesus. And so Jesus, it is our great, great privilege to be a part of your body. To be here standing saying, we didn't deserve any of there's nothing we could have done to make this right. We live in a broken world and we are broken people and we make all kinds of decisions that completely exclude you and your plan and your best and your intentions for us. We've done it for a long time, but we are so grateful that through Jesus we can live a new way, that we can be completely changed from the inside out, that we don't have to earn it, but we can just come to you and believe that you've done this work for us on the cross receive that forgiveness and then receive the transformation of what it means to be a co-heir with you, to be a child of God, to be able to be a completely new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so we are grateful. We're just really, really grateful that right from the very beginning, even though we chose our own way, you always had a plan for us. You were always looking uh, to the day that Jesus would come and make it right. Thank you for your great love for us, God. And thank you for your great justice that doesn't just sweep things under the carpet, but does find a way, the right way, through. We are so, so grateful that we get to spend eternity with you because of Jesus. We hang on to that truth and we revel in that hope. And we thank you that you can, you can restore us to that place of being holy in your sight, without blemish and free from accusation because of Christ. And we receive it gratefully as your church and as your body. And for every person who has been drawn to you this morning for the first time or drawn back to you after a long time, we pray in Jesus' name that you would just anchor these truths in their hearts. 
pray for growth and, and, uh, and a deepening of their faith as they reach out and become part of your body this morning, part of your family, through the great work of Christ. And we pray these things together in your name. And the church said, amen. Uh, happy summer, everybody. We're so glad that you were with us. We will see you again next Sunday for another conversation about seamless. We're going to go a little deeper in scripture and we're really looking forward to it. We will see you then.